Thank you, Chief Justice Gilday. May it please the court, my name is Mark Bradford with Bassford Remley. I'm here today with Megan Hafner from the City Attorney's Office representing the appellant, City of St. Paul. We are asking this court to reverse the district court and hold that the City Council properly resolve not to include a proposed referendum of Ordinance 18-39 on the November ballot. There are obviously two issues for discussion today, conflict preemption and the contracts clause. I'll address preemption first and then go to the contracts clause. With respect to conflicts preemption, our core point is this. The legislative grant of authority to cities to enter into binding long-term contracts for organized hauling would mean very little if after formation of that contract, the electorate could decide it doesn't like the contract and then repeal the very ordinance contemplated by the statute to make contract performance possible. Let me unpackage that a little bit because there are two points there that inform the discussion today. And they are, number one, who has the decision-making authority to go from a system of open collection to a system of organized collection? And this is an important point because, as my friend argues on the other side, on page 16 of the response brief, the purpose of the referendum here is to allow the electorate, quote, to make a decision as to whether they wish to convert to this specific collection system. The second component of our core point is, assuming the Waste Management Act allows the electorate co-equal decision-making authority, the question is, can that decision-making authority be made at the end of the process after a binding enforceable contract is entered into. I will touch on both of those questions and then I'll address what I think is my friend's main argument which is subdivision six and how do we square our points with the, the um, uh, clause in subdivision six. Council, before you get further in, into the detail, I'd like to ask you a hypothetical question. Uh, let's assume the city council authorizes and ratifies a contract with the haulers and then passes an ordinance, as happened in this case. Right. But a few weeks later, the city council has second thoughts, or maybe there are new city council members, and they vote to repeal the ordinance. Yes. Does the city council have power to do that? Yes. So even though there's a contract entered into, the city council is not locked in. The, the city council, and this, well, this gets to the constitutional impairment issue, the city council can breach the contract, and it would be liable for damages if it did that. And the two core cases my friend cites, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I do want to answer the court's question. The two core cases that my friend cites, which are uh, the Seventh Circuit case and the Eastern District of Illinois case, both deal with situations where the city itself enacted an ordinance, and then the city itself uh, repealed that ordinance and issued a substitute ordinance. And the, the court in both cases said, you have a breach of contract against the city in that circumstance. And what's important yeah, about I'm the not interested in the contract clause. I'm interested in its effect on preemption. Then last, let me ask you a second question. Let's say the city council decides not to proceed with organized collection. Can the citizens decide to go ahead with organized collection by way of an initiative? Um, no. And, and this, gets, this gets to the point that I was making, which is the legislature was very clear in this statute, and there is plenty of contextual support for this in the statute, that the decision-making authority to convert from one system to another is a decision that is with the city council and the city council only. And I, I'll walk the court through um, what I think is the strong textual support for that. At a general level, before diving into the specifics of the statute, Minnesota's trash collection statutes, not only uh, 115A, uh, but 443 show and reflect that the decision to implement any particular trash collection system is one that should rightly consider and reflect broader public policies, environmental policies, social policies, economic policies, not one that should be made based on personal preference. I can refer the court to section 115A.02, which talks about the goal of the chapter being to protect the state's land, air, and water. 115A.94, subdivision 4D, which is the contracting authority that's at issue here, provides that the proposal... So, you know, so here's your position that the people of St. Paul are only voting out of their own personal NIMBY and they don't have any concern about the environment? Well, they don't have any concern about these things? Is that the that, argument you're that's making? That's part, part of the problem we have here, Your Honor, and again, this is 
a component of the impairment analysis, is we don't know what their particular complaints are. The record doesn't reflect but I, I, You're making this general argument that only the city council cares about the environment and not the people of St. Paul. That's what you just said. Well, what I'm saying is that the, that can't be right, right? The, the statutes reflect, and I, I can also refer the court to 443.34, which talks about the purpose of giving cities the power to govern rubbish collection is to promote the public health, safety, welfare, convenience, and prosperity of the city. Those are the sorts of police powers that are traditionally exercised by but, the governing but body. The, but, but again, are, are, is your argument saying that the people that are going to vote on this? I mean, the city of St. Paul, the people of St. Paul made this decision to have kind of this dual governance, right, where, the, yes. where both the city and the people can vote on ordinances. You're not arguing that, that the people, when they would vote on ordinance, aren't going to care about all those things, right? Certainly some, so, certainly some may, absolutely. No, I'm not arguing that. So every, I don't understand every, the point of your argument then. The point of my argument is that there's a reason why the, the legislature vested the governing body. In, in, the, in 115A, the phrase governing body is used throughout the statute. And I can, and particularly the first subdivision I'd refer the court to is 4C. This goes to who So here, here's my problem with this. Um, there are, in fact, references to governing body, and, there, and it certainly discusses what the city council can do. But I don't find any language in the statute that says it's exclusive. Um, you've got the subdivision 6 problem. Um, you know, it's certainly not free from doubt as to how what direction this this should go, but it strikes me that the argument that there's, as you put it, that there is strong textual support. Um, where is that strong textual yeah. support? So in, in 4C, we have who can make the decision. And there are two sentences that talk about the governing body before deciding whether to implement collection. The third sentence, organized collection may begin no sooner than six months after the effective date of the decision of the governing body. So that begs the question, who is the governing body? And then I would refer you to subdivision 4A of the statute, which says, before implementing an ordinance, et cetera, or other means of organizing collection, a city or town, by resolution of the governing body, by resolution of the governing body. I believe my friend on the other side will concede the only body in St. Paul with the power to issue a resolution is the city council. That is a clear reference to the city council. And it's not the first time that the legislature has used uh, the phrase governing body. In Minnesota statute 410.12 subdivision four, which authorizes the form of the ballot for a charter amendment, the, the form is to be fixed by quote unquote, the governing body. That is not the electorate. And it's also consistent, I believe. But would you concede that nowhere in any of the statutes that you cite that the legislature has used language that excludes, that specifically excludes the right of the citizens to, um, and I, I have all kinds of problems with initiative referendum and recall, just you know, put that right out there. But nonetheless, they are part of city organizations, um, and there is no language in any of those statutes that you've cited that says, the citizens shall have no right to um, petition for a referendum or to petition for initiative uh, for organized collection. If the question is, is that expressed in the statute, I would agree. The argument is, is it implied in the statute? And that's our point. When you particularly get to the contracting authority in 4D, because it's the, the statute requires a contract, and then it requires the city uh, to have the ability to enact ordinances to correspond directly to the terms of the contract. Our point is, for this statute to work, you have to have the ability to contract, and then you have to have the ability to enact ordinances that mirror the terms of the could, contract. Could the city have structured the contract in a way that they enter the contract, but it's subject to the passage of the ordinance and any referendum time? Was there anything preventing the, the city, was there anything preventing the city from put, structuring into the contract that this contract only goes into effect after the ordinance is passed and after the time has expired for the, for the people to take a chance. Because everybody knew that there was a referendum possibility here. Legally, Could, legally speaking, I agree with you. There's nothing to prevent the city from doing that. Practically speaking, I think there is because both parties have to go through this long process to negotiate and ultimately 
uh, enter into this contract. It's an extraordinary use of resources. And for the parties to say, well, at the end of that, all of this may be undone because we may get a referendum. Few parties would go down that, but, that but road. Count, was, and council the decision, on the, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I think I'm following up on Justice Thiessen's point. But, but isn't that precisely what the parties did in the Bloomington case, in Jenison? I mean, they, the, the Bloomington City Council passed, um, uh, signed the contract, and it was either the same day or maybe a week later, but I mean, a very short period of time before which, in which they passed the ordinance, which then allowed whatever might happen, in that case, charter amendment, but here it would have been the referendum. And so you wouldn't have had this, this 10-month gap where, you know, positions have cemented, the, here the, the haulers are, are, are performing, everybody's performing under the contract. And so I think it's a, it's, it's a version of Justice Thiessen's question, which is what, what, were the, what were the citizens to do since they can only bring a referendum 45 days after an ordinance has been passed? So they couldn't have acted any sooner than they did by, by referendum. By referendum. That's true. Uh, by initiative, by uh, other manner, they could have acted prospectively, potentially. <clears throat> but by referendum, the court, the court is right. This <clears throat> is the first opportunity they had. But that begs the question of whether... The council, I, I, I go a little even broader, which um, I'm taking outside of perhaps all of the legal wranglings, but it, just help me understand why the city of St. Paul, knowing that this could have ended up where we are today, um, would want to have embroiled in litigation rather than just allowing the citizens of St. Paul to put it on the ballot and to um, have a say in that. Tell me why that, why that didn't happen. Why they don't want to take the risk of a referendum? Risk, but allowing the, allowing the citizens to have say in what they're going to have as far as their trash collection. Well, the citizens, the citizens did have say, and I think this record is replete with uh, evidence of public input. The Public Works Department spent three months soliciting public input on this. There were two public hearings, which is more than the uh, statute requires. Uh, there was significant public input on this. The question is, after the contract that's authorized by the statute is entered into, can the citizens then seek to undo or impair that contract by referendum um, post-contract formation? And our point is, Allowing that would conflict with the statute because the statute presumes, and this, the reliance interest is very strong here, the statute presumes that once you have an enforceable contract, the city will have the ability to enact ordinances that have terms consistent with that contract. There's only room at the table for one in that situation, and here's, here's why. If the citizens could petition uh, for an initiative, for example, to modify the ordinance. And we know from the citizens of St. Paul case um, that voters in St. Paul are generally able to repeal an existing ordinance uh, through the initiative process. If they could say two months or two years into this contract, we don't like the fact that we're paying $40 uh, per quarter. We want it to be $20 and enact an ordinance that changes the price. You'd be sitting there with a fully negotiated contract that has a price and that has mechanisms for collection but you would have a totally different ordinance. And that's but didn't why... You, didn't you say already that the city council itself could do that two years later? The city council could breach the contract, but what can't happen is that the electorate can't force the but city... But the city council to, could change the ordinance. You admit the city council could change the ordinance exactly the way you're saying they could. With, well, they could either do it with consent of the haulers, in which case there would be no breach, and if they changed the ordinance, then there would be a breach of contract, but and the, they would but be the city liable council for damage. Do it. Yes. So how is the statute then? I thought you, or your whole argument is that the statute prevents that from happening. The, what the statute prevents is two different bodies making decisions that affect the terms of the contract. For this, for this statute to work, the body that negotiates and enters into the contract must be the body that has the ability to, to uh, engage in the ordinance making process to uh, mirror the terms of the contract. You and can't have and <laughs> Council, your statutory authority for that, for that the governing body must be the, must be the City Council, it, as I understand it, is 115A.941, a combination of that along with 
uh, subdivision 4C of 115A.94. Is that right? It's, it's, it's 4C, correct. And importantly, um, Justice Tudich, it's 4A as well. So it's 4, 4C, 4A, and you're also relying on um, 115A.941. Uh, correct. Yeah. And then also, I would add to that subdivision 4B of 115A.94, which is also important because what that section of the statute says is that uh, you have this elections uh, options committee, rather, that is um, appointed by the city council to seek input from, in subpart one, it says governing body, and in subpart four, it says residents. Uh, what, so that treats the two very differently. What also strikes me about um, the statute is the the length of the contract that it requires. Once once a governing body decides to enter into this, then it requires the um, governing body to enter into a lengthy um, contract. So that suggests to me the legislature is interested in stability in this important area of garbage collection right. uh, that affects public health if it's not uh, done correctly. Well, and it I, seems like there's many references throughout the statute to that that um, interest in stability. Correct, and I think the amendment in 2018, um, <clears throat> which underscores your question, which took away the ability to contract between three and seven years and says now you have to enter into a seven-year contract supports our position that the contract can't be subject to impairment by the citizenry after it's entered. Because if, if my friend is correct that this would, the repeal would constitute a breach of the contract, by that amendment, the legislature would be increasing the prospective liability of the city under the statute. Council, that, let me make sure I understand what you said earlier in response to Justice Anderson. I understand you said that there's not an express preemption here, express conflict preemption, it's implied conflict preemption. Is that what you said? Correct. All right. I'd like you to turn to, at least mentally, Minnesota Statutes 410.20, which governs recall and removal of officers and ordinances. This is the state statute that authorizes charters to include referenda. Okay. And it says... Uh, if the city wants, no ordinance passed by the council except an emergency ordinance shall take effect within a certain period of time after its passage if there's a percentage of voters ca calling for a referendum. Does that ring a bell? Well, I'm turning to it now, okay. but it does, yeah. All right, so basically that is, that's creating a blanket um, power on the part of a, a chartered city to have a referendum that says no ordinance shall take effect. If, in fact, your position is there's implied preemption here, then would it be said that the waste management statute is an implied amendment to Minnesota Statutes 410.20? Um, I think that's right. I think that's right because it's a specific statute that gives the city council and the city council only the ability to enter into the contract, which is not subject to referendum. It doesn't expressly amend 410.20, but but correct? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Your Honor. No, that's, it doesn't expressly amend 410.20. No, but it, it impliedly does so because that's the only way that this statute can operate. If, if, a, if there could be a post-contract referendum that either repudiates the contract or makes performance impossible, that could not have been what the legislature intended. And in fact, they were very clear because of that to give contracting authority and the decision to implement this system. Yeah, but to they apparently, by your acknowledgement, left open the possibility the city council could reverse course. I mean, why, why would they leave that open and close the possibility of reversing course by referendum? Because the other contracting party in that situation would have a remedy. Whereas if, if the city breached the contract, there would be a remedy. Uh, if the city does not breach the contract and it is, the ordinance is simply repealed, there would be no remedy for anyone. We'd have, we'd have an enforceable contract that would be impossible to perform by virtue of the ordinance, but there would be and no the, remedy. the haulers would be able to sue for damages. If, in which, in which circumstance, Your if, Honor? If, we, if, if we either the city council repeals the yes. ordinance or a referendum appeals, repeals the ordinance, in either case, the haulers have a claim for damages. No, I, I, dis, I disagree with that. And, really? And, and now, now we're getting into the, um, the impairment, uh, impairment question. 
And, and the, the cases that are cited for the proposition that if, um, if, if a repeal of the ordinance would stand as a repudiation of the contract have key features, and I'm talking about the Horowitz case, case which is what they cite, uh, and then the taxi cab case. They have key features, uh, and, and those are these. The court in both cases said, because it is the party that entered into the contract that is taking some volitional action to enter an ordinance that impairs that contract, that's a breach of contract. And Can what, I just ask a preliminary question? Who yeah. entered this contract? The, the city of St. Paul. And, and, and a so consortium the, of Paul. Not the city council of St. Paul, but the city of St. Paul. The city of St. Paul. So what? Is the contract Aren't the people party. the city of St. Paul too? The, the people are certainly part of the city of St. Paul, but they don't have the right, and this is an important point, the people don't have the right to enter into the contract. The contracting authority is vested in the executive branch of the government. And what, so what this case is really about is they want to exert contracting authority, and they don't have that, and that's, that's our point. They can't form an options committee, they can't enter into a contract, they can't repudiate a contract, and so what this case is about is trying to achieve those powers indirectly through referendum after the contract is entered into that they can achieve directly. And that's, that's our point. Um, there's absolutely no authority in the city charter or otherwise that allows the citizenry the power to contract. Council, can I just want to go back to the, the um, hypothetical about um, could the city pass another ordinance? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if there are any limits on what that ordinance could could do. I mean, maybe I should just ask it that way. Sure. So, I mean, another ordinance to sort of save the day at the end of this process? Well, so the city makes a decision to go with organized collection and they sign a five-year contract. Yes. And then there's an election. Yes. And the city council, is the composition is changed. And so then that city council decides we don't want organized collection anymore. Could they pass a new ordinance during the term of the contract that says we're not going to have organized collection? Not without breaching the contract. Well, what about the, what about the statute? I mean, is there a statutory conflict argument that if the city council reverses, reverses course and says organized collection is off the table, has there been a conflict with the provision in the state statute that says uh, once you decide to go organized collection, you sign an agreement? Well, so you're talking about if... And what I'm really inartfully asking you <laughs> is, could the city council do what the voters are trying to do with their referendum? I think they, I think they could, because the statute gives them that authority to make the contracting decision, because it gives the decision to implement uh, and authorize this contract to the city council and the city council only. And isn't does that, not like, that required elect, constitutionally? Me, Sorry, isn't that re required constitutionally under the reserve powers doctrine? Uh, I, that, I don't that know the, the city, this, this city council can't bind a future city council. You can't enter a contract and say we're not going to change an ordinance for six years. That's Correct. unconstitutional. I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Um, I have just seven minutes left, so I do want to... Um, touch on a, a few things uh, with respect to the uh, constitutional impairment analysis. And there, maybe we should talk about subdivision six. Oh, yeah, that, right. that was going to be my question. Too. Pardon me. So <clears throat> obviously in Jenison, this court used subdivision six to show that a municipality is free to add steps to the process so long as they are authorized by other law. And our point with respect to subdivision six is that the proposed referendum here is not just another step in 115A.94. The, the, it's not another procedural requirement that supplements or complements the statute. It's fundamentally one that seeks to alter who gets to decide whether to implement organized hauling, and it conflicts with the legislature's decision embedded in the statute. What Subdivision 6 does, and it's the first 11 words of of subpart A are, are critical, is that it grants authority in addition to other, other law to organize hauling. Those are words of expansion. They're not, cannot be interpreted to say that the authority granted in this section is subject to um, home rule Council, charter. Council, I and others reverend. may be more interested in subdivision 6C, which says a city, town, or county may exercise any authority granted by any other law 
including a home rule charter to govern collection of solid waste. Right. Isn't that a signal from the legislature that they didn't want to infringe or impinge upon charter provisions? Well, subdivision 6C has to be reconciled with subdivision A. So I'll, I'll pose a hypothetical uh, to the court. Um, suppose that uh, the home rule charter said um, our city council shall only provide for open collection and shall never have a system of organized collection. That the council would have authority. That under, sounds like Bloomington. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the, the council would have authority under subdivision C to exercise its authority under the home rule charter, under the, the city charter. But what A says is that the authority provided in this chapter, 115A, so the authority to organize collection is in addition to any authority that's governed by um, uh, the Home Rule uh, Charter or other law. So I read that as expanding the authority. So if, if, the, if the... Yeah, but even if you're right, doesn't 6C say they also have authority to follow their charter in connection with the decision? A, a Home Rule Charter that governs collection of solid waste. Oh, so your position is the St. Paul City Charter, which says any ordinance made subject to referendum is not specific enough because it doesn't mention solid waste? Well, that's part of the position, yes, because the, the, the statute is very specific in terms of what that other law means, and it's other law that governs the collection of solid waste. Um, and it can't be reconciled. If you, if you, have, a, if you have subdivision C, which says we're reserving the right to referendum and you can have a situation where the contract is voided by the electorate after it's entered into, that power granted by 115A.94 would really be meaningless. It wouldn't be in addition to, to anything. And, and A is, is, needs to be reconciled with C. You, you know, one of the things I worry about here, and you could, I think, argue it both ways. I mean, it could be a problem for either side in this argument, but what are the implications in other areas? So, for example, um, I haven't thought this analogy through completely, but cities have broad authority in the area of special assessments and what, they, what cities can do with respect to special assessments. Um, is it your argument that um, uh, under Chapter 419 and all of those related statutes that, or 429 I guess it is, that um, a city uh, adopting, a, uh, adopting a, that a special assessment could not be affected in any way by a referendum? To be completely candid with the court, I'd have to read those statutes and see what the text says before I could give you a definitive answer. I don't want to run from the hypothetical or run from the question. Well, and I, it's I don't a, know those It's a very well complicated enough. topic, and so, you know, setting aside the hypothetical, you see what my concern is, because it strikes me that um, analytically you could have the same problem there, and then, it be, then you begin to wonder about just exactly, there's, there are a lot of provisions about city authority and state statutes that are every bit as detailed uh, as um, as the ones that we're discussing here today, and are those in effect, um, uh, you know, preemption claims for all of those areas of the law as well? Well, we'd have to see we'd have to see how those statutes define who has the decision making authority. And again, it's our position that this statute is very clear and it's very limited with respect to who has the decision making authority. So I don't know if my argument would translate to those statutes. Or, or not, Justice Anderson, to be completely candid with you. But I do understand. Counsel, I want to go back to, oh, excuse to me, your, Justice. Your, your, the 6C issue. And um, I understand your position to be that because the charter has no specific provision that regulates waste collection, um, that, that that's determinative. But I, but I still question whether that, that's a necessity because the charter says that the citizens have the right to put to a referendum any ordinance any ordinance and it isn't it doesn't qualify that in any way yeah. and so if the if the right under 6c is coming from the the uh as it says a home rule uh including home rule charter and the charter allows citizens to challenge any ordinance why does it ha why does there have to be something specific in the charter regarding waste collection well the specific specificity is only obviously one one aspect of our argument the other aspect is to read subsection C in that manner um, would, would conflict with subsection A, which gives additional authority. 
Um, but more than that, subsection C has to be exercised. Even if referendum power was, was reserved in subsection C, it has to be exercised consistent with the laws of the state of Minnesota and the Constitution. And I didn't have, um, uh, I didn't quite get to my constitutional impairment well, argument really as early as to, I want to. But, it comes yeah. back to the fact that under, under our precedent, uh, the charter provisions and charter rights are still subservient to conflict preemption and, and all of that. I mean, that's, that's always the overlay is what you're saying. Correct. Absolutely. Thank you, Counsel. You have five Thank minutes you, for Honor. rebuttal. Mr. Joseph. Good morning, may it please the court. My name is Greg Joseph. Uh, I represent Bruce Clark, Peter Butler, Ann Dolan, and the disenfranchised voters of St. Paul. So the case before the court is about voter rights under a city charter in the context of waste hauling. As the court's well aware, St. Paul is a charter city that reserves for its people the broadest possible legislative authority. Uh, as a matter of fact, it may even exceed the legislative authority that this court has found in other cases. Um, that question is not before this court, though. Uh, what is before this court, however, is whether the referendum is a valid exercise of voter power. The city puts forth the argument that the referendum is preempted because it conflicts with state statute. Uh, further, it uh, explains or tries to argue that the referendum unconstitutionally impairs its contract with the trash haulers. <clears throat> Council, no. can we go to the second issue on impairment of contract, obligation of contract? If your clients are successful, the referendum is allowed and they win. Is the city of St. Paul on the hook for damages to the haulers for breaching the contract? Because the contract contemplates organized collection. So I assume, Your Honor, by saying my clients win, I assume you mean that the referendum... The referendum prevails and repeals Ordinance 18... Point, right. 1839. Okay. Um, Your Honor, the, the city, as I read the contract, the city would not be liable for breach. Because as I read the contract, Your Honor, the contract provides for protections in the event a measure exactly like this one is passed. Let's say the city, the city seems to be saying the force majeure clause doesn't really apply here. Let's say they're right. Then is the city on the hook? for a, in a lawsuit by the haulers. So arguing that the contract did not then provide for a, a voter measure yeah. like this? Are they on the hook? Uh, for breach, Your Honor, um, by removing the legal authority to act under the contract, I would say the city would be liable for breach. All right, so the city would be liable for breach, but your, your position is it's not, there has not been an impairment of the obligation of the contract. The, the city's still ob obligated, the haulers would still be obligated. Well. That's right, Judge, but, but importantly, too, and this is a, something I want to emphasize that, that the, the city pointed out in their brief, Th the difference is that the measure, okay, the referendum itself is not what would cause, that, that's not what would limit the remedy, Your Honor. The remedy under breach would be limited by the terms of the contract, not by the referendum itself. And so the, refer a, the referendum the does not seek to repeal the contract. The, the referendum seeks to remove the authority. It seeks to remove the, the ordinance, 1839. Leave the, it to the voters. But the contract would still live. The contract may still live, Judge. But the, depending, the city, on the, depending on the interpretation of the force majeure clause. Well, right. Your Honor, whether the city chooses to perform under the contract or not, um, we can't say. But our interpretation of the contract and the force majeure clause would anticipate the referendum, and it would remove both parties' obligation to perform. Council, so... I just want to ask you about Yellow Cab, which is what you cite in your brief, um, and that relies on Horowitz Matthews from the Seventh Circuit. And the court there sets up a test in Yellow Cab, um, and I'm just going to read it. So it's saying Horowitz, therefore, teaches that an impairment results only if a new law 
divests the contracting state entity of its authority to act on the contract. So if the referendum is successful, then it seems to me that test is met, that the new law would divest the city of St. Paul of its authority to act on the contract. Help me understand if that's correct or not. Okay, so a, a couple things, Your Honor. Uh, the first thing I'd point out is the context where that appears is the state of Illinois passing a law concerning the city. So that would be a superior body of law touching on a city's ordinance. So that would provide a complete defense. And again, the, the law itself, the new law would divest it. So that law would provide the defense, okay? Not the terms of the contract as we have here, okay? But the passage of a superior law by the state of Illinois would, would, would uh, but, but is divest it, contracting. But isn't entity. your position here that, that all power belongs to the voters? And if the voters decide by referendum that this ordinance goes away, that would be superior to the ordinance in, the, in sort of the same way, right? The, the charter actually governs that as well. So if the, if the underlying ordinance is repealed in the event that happens, the charter makes provisions for that too. The city can then not reverse the voters' decision for a year after, and the, the, the subdivision of the charter escapes me, Your Honor, but that governs the conduct as well. For at least a year, the city would have no authority. Uh, they, I think the language in the charter is they couldn't pass substantially similar legislation to the one that's repealed by the voters, Your Honor. So isn't that the same thing as the court was talking about in Yellow Cab? Uh, it's, it's, Judge, it's our position that it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, um, the, the impairment only results if it's a superior governing document that passes for the city, is our position, Judge. Um, Here, here's my problem with, with, um, the resident's argument here, um, and, and I'm not unsympathetic with the way in which, or the complaints about the way in which this process came to be, but uh, the um, statute's quite clear that a city must have some form of collection of garbage. And um, it's entirely possible, under your theory, that a series of referendums could be held, all of which pass, and the city of St. Paul has no collection of garbage. And it seems to be clear that this statute um, suggests that um, maybe, maybe in fact, um, the rights of referendum and initiative don't apply in this context. Your Honor, it's not a choice, okay? The referendum is not presenting a choice between compliance with the Waste Management Act and lawlessness, okay? The referendum seeks to repeal 1839, but that's not the only solution the city has to comply with the Waste Management Act. Okay, so it's not a choice between nothing and a compliant trash hauling system. And in, in terms of the use of the word referendum, Your Honor, um, the only language in the referendum, okay, is the language that was drafted by the city council. The referendum has no language of its own, Judge. And that's what sets this apart from any of the other cases that are cited by the city is all the referendum does is suspends the ordinance and submits it to the voters for approval or repeal. There is no language in the referendum itself. So that's different as well. What do you, what do, you do with uh, opposing counsel's argument uh, points to, you know, the only authority, um, the only body with authority to act is the city council. The statute seems to be phrased like that. And, you know, and I think there's a, you know, there's a philosophical problem working in the background here. We, a lot of talk about the charter provisions, but state constitution doesn't provide any provision for municipalities. I mean, the state state law controls this, and uh, the legislature has authority here. Um, this might, in fact, um, you know, I'm, I've raised this concern. This might, in fact, raise some pretty serious concerns for other ways in which uh, cities might seek to use these uh, progressive area era in, um, reforms. Uh, but the legislature can do that. How do you deal with that? So I, I think so there's a question buried in there, and I'm sure <laughs> you can find it. Okay, um, Your Honor, what what I what I think you're saying, okay, and and I guess this is the route I'll take it. And correct me if this isn't what you're looking for, but um, Your Honor, the legislature built in protections for cities. Okay, 
in, in this statute, we have a six-month waiting period okay, that the city chose not to avail itself of. The six-month waiting period between the time the ordinance is enacted and the time that organized collection becomes reality, okay, there's only one reason why that could have been there, and that's to allow charter cities and allow the electorate to pass their own legislation. Council, that's, that's assuming they, they chose to proceed under 4A. That's right. But the statute gives them an option. They don't have to proceed, on, well, they don't have to proceed at all, but if they choose to proceed, they can either proceed under 4A, which has that provision in it, but they can also go the route that they took um, under D, essentially, C and D. That's right. That's right. So, Your Honor, it's, it's, I mean, the legislature gave them the option of doing either one, so it, it seems to undercut that position. That, that's, that's right, Your Honor, but that's not the only protection. Um, the charter affords protections as well. Okay, the charter provides that first the referendum has to be brought within 45 days. Okay, and the reason for that is we don't want something protracted and extensive that's going to undo exactly, you know, we don't, it tried to avoid this exact situation. The, the second protection in the charter, Your Honor, is that um, any ordinance that's passed by the city council has a 30-day delay before the ordinance becomes effective. So th these things are put into place to avoid this scenario. It was the city's choice to use the expedited process. Yeah, but council, I don't think you're responding to Justice Anderson's concern, and I think I figured out what was buried in there. Um, the concern, I think, and I have this concern also, is what if this thing is on the ballot and the morning after November whatever, the day election day, the city of St. Paul wakes up and they find we don't have organized collection, we don't have unorganized collection, what's going to happen to the trash? It's a very practical question with regards to the effect of this referendum. What's your answer? My answer, Your Honor, is that's the city's responsibility to solve the problem. We are, uh, by they've, November, they've got, Your Honor... It, they've it, got uh, September and October to solve the problem? <laughs> Not exactly, Your Honor. Um, again, the referendum was brought to them in October. And if the charter had operated the way that it should have been allowed to operate, or if the referendum operated the way it should have been allowed to operate, the ordinance would have been suspended immediately. That would have happened that isn't the world we're living in. Well, that's right. Well, that's I, what have, I, I, have a, Your Honor. I have a question that's confused me on this. I, I went back and looked at St. Paul's ordinance on garbage hauling, and found stuff in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and then it, there was, I couldn't find anything in the 80s that, and post it. Was there anything on the books before 220 went into place that dealt with garbage hauling? But, Your Honor, I think the reason it's confusing is because, for the same reason that 443 is, is so strange, this idea of Chapter 443, because St. Paul used to have Right. Organized hauling, then converted to an open system, and now we're looking at converting But they that. didn't have anything on the books where there was, when there was an open system, right? I, I believe that's correct, Judge. So I don't understand why everybody's so concerned about not having something on the books. I mean, I, and you can, I, I'd like the city of St. Paul to actually answer that question, especially relate your argument related to 443. If you didn't have, if you are saying you're required to have something on the books and you didn't, I don't see how that argument stands up. But then the other question is, the ordinance, to go to this question of what happened, the practical question, isn't it the fact that the, organized, the contract's still in place? It's just who's going to pay for it, right? And so when the residents don't pay for the organized collection, when they don't pay their trash haulers, and I'm assuming many will anyway, then the city has to pay for it. That contract is still in place. So it, there is a solution. That could be the case, Judge. That's right. And, and again, I, I don't know how the city and the haulers will interpret the terms of the contract in that regard. I don't know. To me, the, the controlling again, language... Again, they had control and, over the language that was put into that contract. That's right. It was negotiated and put into the contract, as was the force majeure clause, which defined exactly what we and, have And in here. fact, the city could have anticipated all this and... I mean, they had the control. I mean, they had the control to draft this contract, negotiate the contract. They could have negotiated a contract that anticipated all these things because they knew there was a referendum provision, right? That's which is, the background rule. Right, which is what the legislature intended in drafting 115.8.94. The subdivision used by St. Paul, uh, to me, it seems clear that would be better used by a statutory city, where, yes, the only feedback that the voters have in a statutory city is the one public input hearing, which the council's free to ignore. But in council, a charter city, that's not the case. Council, I, I, I want to go back still. I just want to be clear on, on sort of the practical effects. So on November 6th, the, the, one of the city's options would be it pays for the trash 
collection. And I think respondents say in their brief that's possibly to the tune of six million or so. Um, and and that's what happens. Is that your position? I mean, or is that your thought? It is, Your Honor. Uh, it is. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know how else to put it. The city's put itself in this position, and and if that's their uh, position, it's going to cost six million dollars. So, so they pass on to the taxpayers. I, Council, I wonder, and this is just another sort of practical question, but but also a question about the charter. Does the charter provide any mechanism for citizens to challenge uh, resolutions? Because it seems to me that you know a city can only act through its its legislative authority, and that legislative authority is manifested in resolutions and in ordinances. And I ask that because it, it does seem that at least as of July, I think it was 27, 2016, when the city issues the uh, resolution saying uh, we're going to go forward, we want to implement, implement organized um, trash collection, that's also the resolution, I think, that says we wanted, we we're choosing August 15th, 2016 as the date to begin negotiations with the haulers. So my point is, at that point, could you, you, your clients, have, have either brought a referendum on that resolution? Because you knew then, they knew then that this was going, this was headed down the track towards organized collection. So the question, as I understand it, is, so, so first of all, um, yes, the charter allows for referendum not only on any ordinance but also uh, under 603 subdivisions uh, 5 and 6 on these resolutions that are specifically contractual resolutions collective bargaining agreements uh, employment contracts okay so the charter allows for a referendum on anything which is why I pointed out at the beginning that uh, I think maybe HRA uh, which said you can have referendums on ordinances but that's all the power reserved for voters under the charter may actually exceed the power this court has found for charter cities. Um, but the question is, if the voters had seen the signed contract at that time, could they have brought a referendum on the resolution that authorized the city to sign the contract? Perhaps, Your Honor, that, that's, it, that may be the case. They could have. Now, would that strip the city of their authority to sign the contract? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Judge. Either, either way, it doesn't remove the authority of the voters to bring a referendum on the ordinance. Council, um, if the legislature had intended to give the electorate a say in this process, um, the city says it, it would have had language in the statute to, to have that um, done before the city actually entered into a contract, and it gave some examples of other statutes that require that. What's your response to that? Two things, Your Honor. First of all, it does seem to me weird that the legislature requires uh, cities to enter into these long-term, now it's seven-year contracts. So I, I would say, Your Honor, first of all, we, we know the decision to organize is not contained in the process in 115.8.94. It's outside the process. I don't believe 4C has that decision in it. I don't, Your Honor. I, I, in other words, a, a directive to contract Okay, isn't the same thing as a directive to ignore the right to referendum. Okay, so I believe the legislature's intention was to direct the city to contract, but the statute had to be drafted broadly. Okay, the statute had to be drafted to cover statutory cities and charter cities and differing governing bodies and differing structures, strong mayor, weak mayor, uh, city manager, all kinds of different Do you, th do you think the legislature thought about this at all? <laughs> I think, <laughs> Your Honor, um, I, I think it's... Uh, I think they did think about it. Um, and I realize it's unusual to have that contract directive, but at the same time, I think they assumed the charter cities could anticipate referendums and initiatives like this. I mean, do you, do you think that they actually thought about home rule charter cities and the impact of referendum on this at all? I do. I do. And, and, and the really? evidence I would point to, Your Honor, is the six-month waiting period in the statute. And I think... And subdivision six, I suppose. Well, and of course, subdivision six. Right. I think they did. Council, I, I, I want to try to figure out what this case is about from your perspective. Um, so is it just about who pays for trash collection, your clients no, or the city? Not at all, Your Honor. What is it about? It's, it, it's about the principle of exercising rights in a charter city. It's about presenting an ordinance for referendum. So if the referendum passes, 
then what? So it, it, are we talking the, the policy question? Or I just want to know what happens. If because it, there can be or, no organized collection now if the referendum passes. So organized collection is out. Mm -hmm. So what happens? I think that's a better question for the city, Your Honor. Uh, again, it's the city's responsibility to comply with the Waste Management Act. And the, voters, in, can't, the voters can't enact any legislation to, to provide the entire governing structure of a trash collecting system. That's not what their power is reserved, Your Honor. Does the elimination of the option of organized collection create a conflict in the state statutes? Absolutely not. 941, Your Honor, provides three different options. And but if the referendum passes, one of those options goes away. Right. But, right. Council, isn't but, that precisely what conflict preemption is? No. The referendum then prohibits, ends up in effect, I mean functionally, prohibiting something that the statute specifically says the city can do. I mean, isn't that what, isn't that conflict preemption? It seems to me it's preventing a method of doing what they're required to do, but it not, not that they can't come up with an alternative. So the, the, it would just revert back to what they were doing before. Right, I, that's, that's right, Your Honor. What, what the council has, what the city but has. But to be is, clear, what they were doing before was not organized collection. And correct, and it was also compliant with 941 and the Waste Management Act. It so seems to me, again, Council, it, once they make that choice, which the statute allows them to do, once they make that choice, then anything that interrupts <laughs> that choice seems to me to be in conflict with the statute because then you've, you've cut out from under the city an option that the statute specifically gives them. And why isn't that conflict preemption? Because it's not a directive. They have to comply so, with 941, but they have three ways in which to comply. Why does it have to, to be a directive? If the statute allows them to do it and they choose an option, why does it have to be a directive? Okay, I mean, it by, could be. I'm not saying that couldn't be Okay, but by the same logic, okay, the city didn't choose either of the other two options in 941. Okay? So by not choosing those options... Do we then have a conflict because they're off the table? Or is it only when you pass an ordinance that says they're not choosing those options well, isn't that it, it becomes Isn't it also the case so, that, I mean, who's the city here again? I mean, that's the fundamental question. It just says a city has to choose. Aren't the people of the city of St. Paul, because there's a charter, the city? Of course. And the governing body of the city includes the voters in St. Paul. Council, speak. Well, 941 doesn't even mention governing body. It just says the city has to choose an option. Right. Council, speaking of the people, I want to follow up on something Justice Anderson was uh, asking opposing counsel about, and that is what the nature of a voter is. Um, there's been an amicus brief in this case filed by the Minnesota League of Cities, and I was distressed to have, see the League as casting aspersions on voters. The League says that um, a referendum is simply where residents simply cast votes without explanation and said resident voters may be concerned with their, more concerned with their immediate private interests than with the public interest. Um, I doubt if your clients share that view of what voters are, but I want to give you the chance to uh, give a ringing defense of voting by, by ordinary people, real Minnesotans. Thank you, Judge. You know, the reason why St. Paul chose to be a charter city, the reason why the Charter Commission drafted this is to give people a voice. Now, whether that's, uh, whether that's better or worse, whether that's right or wrong, um, whether that's a smart policy, whether that's uh, following the procedure outlined in 115.8.94, if the Charter Commission intended for only elected officials to make the decision, they could have drafted that. And they can convert to a, stat a statutory city if that's what they want to do. But as the Charter is drafted now, as it has in St. Paul today, this right has to be respected. Because the will of the people as expressed through a referendum and the will of the city council are always going to conflict with one another. You, you, Your Honor, our position is you can't get a more express reservation for the people to make this decision than you have in subdivision six. It's obvious. There's no other way this could have been phrased by the legislature. If that answers the question, Your Honor. Council, is there anything, um, just turning to subdivision six, 
Um, is there anything in the city charter that, quote, governs collection of solid waste, end quote? Uh, are, are we talking about a pre-existing law that governs collection of solid waste? I'm asking we, about subdivision 6C. We, we have chapter 220 now. But that's, that came as a result of the passage of organized collection, Your Honor. So are, are, are you speaking to the city's argument regarding existing laws versus supplemental yeah, laws? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if there's anything that governs. So your argument is, look, this whole thing is optional and there's no preemption here because the city charter is, is some other law that, that we can look to. But subdivision C requires that other law to be something that governs collection of solid waste. And I'm just trying to figure out whether there's anything in the city charter that, that you contend governs collection of solid waste. So um, I guess, Judge, what I would say is that the council gets its authority from the charter. The people get their authority or the electorate get their authority from the same charter. So in other words, if the council has the authority under the charter to pass something under subdivision six, then the people have the same authority under the same governing document to be able to call that to a referendum. I guess what I'm getting at is I see this case um, is perhaps different from the Bloomington case in the sense that in Bloomington, the voters were trying to put something in the city charter specifically about um, solid waste collection. And I'm trying to figure out if the city of St. Paul has already something about solid waste collection in its charter. I, I mean, I, I, would, I guess I would say that the power to pass an ordinance or referendum to begin with, if used in an organized collection field, would... So it's, you relied generally on the referendum authority? Right. I, was, I would rely on the same authority the city relies on for its authority. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Council. Um, let, um, let's see. Mr. Bradford, you have five minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Bradford, um, before you get going, uh, we didn't give you much time on the impairment of obligation of contract, and I wanted to ask you a question about that, if sure. I could. Um, I'm taking a look at Ordinance 1839. Yes. And it says, among other things, that all previous contracts between solid waste haulers and residents become null and void on October 1, 2018. No new private contract between a solid waste hauler and an RDU for services will be valid. Did the city of St. Paul impair the <laughs> obligation of contract of its residents by saying the contracts are now null and void? I asked, I asked the same question uh, actually the other day. And the, and the answer? The, the answer is, is no, um, because those, those contracts are A, terminable at will. Uh, you had a party to the contract. You had the, the haulers authorized. How, how do you know that? How do you know some resident didn't contract with a hauler for two years and their contract became null and void? So if that's the case, if that were the case, then the, the residents, uh, if they had paid some money under those contracts or had some reliance interest on those contracts, may have had a breach of contract claim against the haulers. That, that's very possible, but they may have a remedy at law, which would excuse that from the contract. Did the city of, of St. Paul violate the United States and Minnesota constitutions by putting that in Ordinance 1839? No. Well, it sounds like the, because the theory you're espousing today um, this is an even clearer pre, uh, no, be, impairment of contract because it wouldn't preclude it wouldn't preclude a remedy, uh, and that's that's the whole point. Is if there's if there's a claim for damages, then there's no con unconstitutional impairment of a contract. You just told us in your last argument that there was no. Uh, I mean, this seems to contradict what you were telling us earlier. It seems to me uh, the discussion that we were having was that there was no impairment of contract here because. The haulers uh, had the right to, to sue for damages in the event of a successful referendum. You told us that was an impairment of, uh, of uh, contract. I, I'm not getting the distinction between this the, and the situation posited by Justice Lawhog. The, the difference here is that the, the haulers, if, if this ordinance is enacted and contract performance is impossible under the, the five-year contract we've entered into, the haulers don't have a claim. For damages we would have a contract but they would be unable to pursue a claim for damages under that contract because the ordinance has taken away the city's ability to perform we would have a defense and if you look at uh, page four of the uh, uh, petitioners reply brief before the district court they said as much they said the city could raise 
the um, petitioner's action as a defense in that lawsuit, and there would be no claim for damages. This would be at variance what you were telling us earlier. The, the difference would be if, if there was an enforceable contract between the residents and the haulers, um, th that would not preclude a remedy. They would have a claim for So for you, you said earlier that if the city council acted to repeal the ordinance, there would be a claim for damages, but because it's the voters doing it through referendum, there's not a claim for damages. Correct. And I think and that's, that's the part I, don't, I, I still don't understand. That's consistent why. with what petitioners argued below, which is, and this, if, if we are the same body, if we are the same body, which I think is the argument that this is all sort of the city, then the force majeure clause would not apply. And then we get back to, is that something the legislature could really have intended in 115A? 94 to expose cities to multi-million dollar Except for the fact that the city could have anticipated that and actually, and you admitted already, you could have crafted a contract yep. that would have taken that into account. Right, and I didn't get to the second part of my answer to that question, which is you know, legally they could, practically they couldn't. And Davies says, Davies says you don't have to anticipate future litigation. But that's when there, that's a bond issue where the city's on the, that's a very different circumstance. I, I would argue Davies and the case that relies on the New Jersey, New York, Port Authority case are about bonds where the city's not acting as a police power, which they are here, but they're acting just basically as a contracting Dave, party. Pardon me, Your Honor, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Dave, Davies, I think, was actually um, a bit stronger because the the initiative process had already started when the bond contract. But I'm saying the underlying the transaction is a very different kind of transaction. There, they weren't dealing with any police powers. It was just the issuance of bonds, and so they were entering into a financial transaction, kind of like a private party. Whereas what you're arguing is that you want to take away the cities and the voters, but the city in general, whether the city council or the city voters themselves, their right to exercise their rights dealing with something that's beyond just a financial obligation. It's how trash is organized. It's police power. And I just don't see how you can prohibit under a contract the city, for, and you've kind of admitted that the city can change its mind. So I don't understand what the difference between a referendum and the city council acting is. We're not, we're not seeking by contract to take away anything in the city charter. What we're saying is the legislature has already removed that power by giving the decision-making authority uh, specifically to the governing body, which is the city council in this context. But the city council's power, isn't that, in this case, subject to the referendum? I mean, it, isn't there overall power? And there's not, is there anything in the statute? I mean, I guess that's the fundamental question here. And your argument is because it says, because of the way that the statute is structured and in the interest of stability, that that is an intent by the legislature essentially to take away, that the, the legislature when it enacted this statute was taking away the referendum power. That's your argument. Well, that's part of it, Your Honor. It's not only stability. It's to get back to an earlier point I made, the only way that this statute can operate is if you have the legislatively, legislatively authorized contract that's consistent with the ordinance. But the part I don't understand is you said then the city council can later come back. I mean, if that's the argument, then wouldn't that also mean the city can't, the city council can't act later to repeal the ordinance? Well, the, the difference is a, a party to a contract can always, can always breach the contract as long as they don't preclude a remedy. And that's what the, uh, the contracts clause argument is. What you, what you can't do though, is it, there, there, there's no secret here what this referendum is intended to do. The whole point of the referendum is to impair the pre-existing contract because for one reason or another, and I agree with the comments that were made by the court, certainly the voters may have all kinds of reasons uh, to do this, but the, the whole point of the referendum is to impair the pre-existing contract so that organized hauling cannot proceed. That, that is an impairment under the contracts clause of the Constitution. This was a pre-existing contract, and not only was it pre-existing, it's legislatively authorized. So you have the legislature inviting cities to enter into these contracts. And if you're going to have a rule, an interpretation of subdivision six that says all that can be undone by a referendum, you're either exposing the cities to multi-million dollar damage claims or if they're not exposed to multi-million dollar damage claims, you're leaving the haulers without a remedy. And that's the impairment. I'm, I apologize, I went over my time. We took you there. <laughs> Thank you, yes. I should have um, reserved 15 minutes for a while. I know. <laughs> 
I just wanted you to, to, if you could, to weigh in on the, the practical question that was asked. In your mind, yeah. what happens on November 6th if this referendum is successful in terms of who picks up the trash and who pays for it? I suspect what will happen, and this isn't in the record, so I, this is just me pontificating. Uh, I suspect what will happen is that the city will dip into its emergency reserves and pay the haulers because if the ordinance is repealed, the electorate's not required to pay anything for their trash collection service, so we'd have to pay for it. The question is, are people still going to put out their garbage on the assigned days? Are people going to... So if, if the trash is out there, it will be picked up. Um, I, I, did, I did, may I have 30 seconds, Your Honor? I did want to answer a question, Justice Hudson, that you raised earlier, which is, could the, um, could the electorate have initiated a uh, referendum process on a resolution? And uh, if you look at um, pay, uh, section 8.05 of the city charter, which defines the right to referendum, and it, it talks about any ordinance, and then it talks about certain resolutions that are subject to referendum, and the resolutions that are identified are, uh, I think, relate to collective bargaining. <coughs> so it's a very limited authority uh, to, to impose a referendum on, a, um, uh, on an, um, that type of uh, Chief, law. Chief, can I ask one quick, yeah. fast question? So, <laughs> can I, can sorry. I run for the exit, no, I, please? And, <laughs> no, it was, it's just a question of what existed in the city ordinances yeah. about garbage before this it, went into effect. And my understanding, uh, Justice Thiessen, is that's in Chapter 357 of the, the city code. And I, I think what it says, essentially, is... Um, that, that was under the open hauling system, and it relates to licensing, and it, it tells the haulers that they have to report to the city what they are charging under their contracts to private residents. So I think, it, I think it's under 357. And, and that was the, repealed. It, that's, that, I, that's right, yes. All Thank right. You. Now we're done. Thank you, counsel. Thanks to uh, all counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this matter. This case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're adjourned.